with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Now, before we get started, I kind of want to point to the, me and Joey, we're, we're kind of changing things as we go a little bit, not too much, but we want to try to maintain a little bit of the logic as we go forward from week to week. So, Joey started with the church, the local church. We then talked about um, the authority that the church has, and that authority is only through Jesus Christ, as he's the only head of the church, right? And that authority, Jesus Christ was pleased to delegate in a certain way, and our understanding of Scripture, and I think clearly we can show this, is not through an Episcopalianism, whether that be the Church of England or the Pope or Presbyterianism, but that God has been pleased to give his authority to be shown and exercised through congregations, right? Those congregations, as we saw, they exercise that authority in the use of the keys of the kingdom, allowing members in and excommunicating some if they continue in an unrepentant lifestyle or fall away from faith, right? But the authority that the church has isn't an absolute authority according to our own minds and consciences, It's informed always and ever by the Word of God, right? The authority that we have as a congregation is only to do what the Word of God tells us to do, and therefore we need to be biblically informed Christians, right? So we talked about the sufficiency of Scripture. The 2 Timothy tells us it's given for all things pertaining to life and godliness. That's actually Peter. I apologize. 2 Timothy tells us that it's profitable for reproof, for rebuke, for training in righteousness, that the man of God might be complete, equipped for what? Every good work, right? Every good work that a man can do is found in the Word of God. So, Joey has given us in the last two weeks two explicit ways that the congregation should look to the sufficiency of the Word of God. One is in moral matters. And we looked at Christian liberty. What are we free to do? We're free to obey God. We're free to obey His law. But we also have liberty of conscience, right? That our consciences aren't bound by rules and dictates of man, but only by God's Word. And secondly, that we are bound to worship God only as He commands us in Scripture. And so today, going from that, I want us to consider the church itself and the constituent parts of the church. I don't know if, as I say that, the logic doesn't flow necessarily, but I think it's important. If we're talking about the church exercising authority, making decisions, right, we, we have to ask the question, who is in the church, right? And are there differences in in offices in the church. So what we're going to do over the next three weeks is look at the office of elder and deacon, and then we're going to, in the third week, define and defend biblical church membership. And it'll be our conclusion that the Bible commands us as Christians to be members of a local congregation, okay? So that's what we're going to spend our time in. And so today, we're looking at the office of elder, and I had you turn to Ephesians chapter 4, And I'm going to read a fairly lengthy section, and we're going to come back to this passage, but I want it to frame our thinking here as we think about how elders operate in the church and why they operate in the church. We see that the Apostle Paul says in verse 11 through 16, and he, that is Christ, gave 
the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body to grow that it builds itself up in love. And so, at the beginning of this passage, we see that Jesus Christ, He gave gifts... To the church, right? So, as we go through this, I hope we see, when I say that there's elders, deacons, and members, I'm not saying that an elder can be part of a church and lead a church without being a member of that church. All are members that share common faith in Jesus Christ and the profession of faith in Jesus Christ. But there's particular offices in that church, and I hope that this text tells us that Christ was pleased in His wisdom to put certain people in charge of teaching the Word of God to others, right? Now, that that kind of flies in the face of our modern American kind of way of thinking that because the Bible's sufficient, we might say, because it's clear and sufficient, it's the total Word of God given to us, that we don't need shepherds, we don't need teachers, we don't need elders, I just need my Bible, I don't even need other people, Right? I just need my Bible to be at home. And if I just had my Bible, everything would be good and right in the world. But I hope to show us today that God, in his wisdom, gave elders to the church. Right? And it's my um, conviction that every member of the church, including all elders, should have elders. Right? That's why we believe in a plurality of elders. And I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay? So... When we talk about elders in the church, and we talk about the offices of the church, I've already kind of shown my hand, but what two offices does the Bible say that the church has? Elders and deacons, right. Well, and the question that might come to mind, especially from an Episcopalian standpoint, Lutheran or um, Church of England, is, well, what about the office of bishop, Right? Because in 1 Timothy chapter 1, we see very clearly that the word that is used there is not elder, but it is overseer. Paul writes, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, that's episkopos, he desires a noble task. And so, I think the first thing we need to address, is there a distinction between a shepherd or pastor, it's the same Greek word, an overseer, and an elder. Those are the three words typically used for the teaching position in the church. And what I want us to think about is, are those three different offices? Are they two different offices? Or are they one office? What, what, do, you, what do you say? One. And why do we say that it's one office? Brother. Yeah, 20. 
Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, we're, we are coming to the conclusion, I think, and I hope to show you, that pastor, elder, and shepherd, or I'm sorry, pastor, elder, and overseer are all the same office, and I think this is clearly, clearly shown in Scripture. Please turn to Acts chapter 20. So, as you're turning there, the point of what we're doing right now is trying to show what a pastor does, but first, we have to make sense of the biblical terminology that's put together, and I, I want us to see that when the Bible talks about elders and pastors and overseers, it's talking about the same office. Now, Look in Acts chapter 20, in verse 17. Now from Miletus, he, that's Paul, sent to Ephesus and called who? The elders, right? The elders of the church to come to him. So Paul, in his missionary journey, he's going to go back to Jerusalem, and he has been told by the Holy Spirit, speaking through men, that he's going to be imprisoned when he gets to Jerusalem, and he gets to Miletus, and he needs to talk to the Ephesian elders. His pastoral heart constrains him, and so he calls for them, and what he calls for is the elders of the church. But notice in verse 28, as he's talking to these men, who he says are elders of the church, notice what's said in verse 28 of chapter 20. Paul says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Okay? So the elders that he's talking about in this chapter, they are called overseers and we have to take care of the church. Right? This is the same word that we have for shepherd or, or pastor these people. So we see in Acts chapter 20, all three of the biblical labels for the teaching office used to talk about the same group of people, right? They're called elders. Paul says you're overseers and you're overseers to shepherd, to take care of the church of God that he purchased with his own blood. Um, I'd like you to turn to two more passages just to cement this point in your mind in Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. And again, as you're turning, to repeat myself, the reason why this is important for us today is that it, it is often said, and I read a quote this week by a theologian that said that, you know, God doesn't talk about ecclesiology in the Word of God. This is something that we have to come up with ourselves, what makes the most sense. But when we look at the biblical evidence, it becomes very clear there is no separate office of bishop or episkopos in the scripture that elder is the teaching office. Notice in Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, Paul says this. And we're going to come back to this text when we talk about plurality as well. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders, notice that word, in every town as I directed. Now, we'll continue reading. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, notice, for an overseer. As God's steward must be above reproach, he must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or greedy or violent uh, for gain. 
but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. So again, we see elder, overseer used about the same group of people. And lastly, I would have us turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter 5. And you, you may say, I, I, I get the point, but I want us to see that this is talked about numerous times in Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 5, first two verses. Notice... And again, this is another place where all three of these words are used together to refer to the same group of people. Paul sa- or Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. Notice, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Pastor them. It's the second word that we're looking at. Exercising what? Oversight. This is the... Uh, the verb form of episkopos. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God was have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So these texts show, I, I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt, that the writers of the New Testament viewed the words of elder, overseer, and pastor as synonymous terms referring to the same office. Um, and we need to be keenly aware that in this, these passages, they're directly addressed to different local congregations, right? And these congregations are different in their cultural applications, right? There's some from Ephesus, some from Crete. And Peter, writing to um, the exiles that are dispersed throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So we see that this was a uniform standard among the churches of God that the apostles planted, right? That there would be the office of elder, and that office is referred to as overseer, elder, and pastor. Are are there any questions about that? Brother? Uh Uh-oh. Well, I appreciate you telling me that. And my answer is, because the Bible is fully sufficient and clear, that's why he gives us pastors. Now, that might seem like the opposite answer that we're assuming, right? But again, in God's wisdom, he's given us a book that is clear, but you might remember from when we talked about the clarity of Scripture, it's not likewise clear in all of its parts, right? Right? That's why Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3 that Paul writes some things that are confusing to this old fisherman. That's the Hackworth translation, right? Um, but he says Paul writes some things that are easily confusing and, and um, heretics twist those things to their own destruction, right? But God puts pastors and elders in the church because the Bible's so clear that the assumption is that somebody can understand it and teach it, Right? Um, so it's not as clear as maybe we would think picking up a, a children's ABC book might be, but it is sufficient and clear enough for, for us to know that if we have a competent pastor and elder, we can know what the Word of God says, right? Not that you can't know what the Word of God says without a pastor or elder, but at some point in your Christian life, that's true at least, right? You need somebody to, to teach you the Word of God. And we see that in Acts chapter 8. I think Brother Joey brought this up with the Ethiopian eunuch. Right? What do we see there? The Ethiopian eunuch, he's reading the scroll of Isaiah 53, and he's reading it out loud. And Philip comes up, and he says, do you understand what you read? Right? 
What, what, what was the response of the Ethiopian eunuch? How can I unless somebody teach me, right? I mean, we are not living real, realistically in Christianity if there are not some passages, even now today for myself, uh, that I say, how can I understand what this passage says unless somebody teach me, right? But the Bible is sufficient, and the Word of God does make sense and is clear, but God, in His wisdom, has designed that some people know more than others and can teach them. It, and that's exactly right. What, uh, what was that? Keep, keep you accountable, right. Because the office of overseer is not merely to teach the Word of God. And we're going to get into what an overseer does, right? But it's, it's to make sure the application of that Word of God. So my, my goal is not, my end goal is not that one day you can all sit in a theological classroom and get a systematic theology survey completely right. Right? Or that you can have 50% of the Bible memorized. I would have not have done my job, and that is not my job as a shepherd. I want you to know systematic theology. I want you to have your Bible memorized so that you will live the Christian life. So that you'll love God and love one another. Right? So that's oversight is needed for that reason. But yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. It, the, the shepherd, the elder, and the deacon... Really, God put us in the church not just to teach, but to, to try to unify the people of God together under pure doctrine and teaching. All right? Okay. I want us also to look at um, plurality of elders. Okay? So... We've discussed that when we think about the words that the Bible gives for the elder, they're referring to the same office. But I want us to see, and I think clearly from Scripture, that the mind of God shows us that it should be the goal of every individual church to have multiple elders. Okay, And from that question comes the thought, at what point, when a church comes together, does it become a church? I know that's a confusing question, probably. Um, really what I'm leading to is, can a church be a church without having an elder over it? Yeah, okay. Yes, right. There's a, there's a model for that. I understand. So, can we think of any, any biblical... Yeah. Yes, yes. Yes. He does, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, and I, I think that that's right on. So we're on the right track thinking about this. And when, when I consider the Bible and what it... When it calls something a church, a church is an assembled gathering of people that willingly say that they're going to walk together in Christian unity and truth, right? And so I would say we have numerous examples in the scripture that a church existing before elders exist in that church. I would have us turn to Acts chapter 14 for what I think is the clearest example of that. Um, and as you're turning there, 
in my mind, maybe this doesn't make sense, and it depends on your interpretation, but in Matthew chapter 18, when Jesus tells us when two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them, and Brother Joey has already taught us that to be gathered together in the name of Christ is more than just having coffee with another Christian. This is a formal gathering of God's people to do what the church does, right? And if two or three can constitute what it means to be a church gathered together, um, either all of those people are elders or possibly none of those people are elders. But Acts 14 is clearer than that. Notice... Verse 20, uh, I'm sorry, we'll read starting in verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city, he made many disciples and returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So we see here that Paul is on his second missionary journey, and he's going back through some areas where he's already planted churches, right? We see that he went back through Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. And what does Paul do? He strengthens the souls of the disciples, and he ordains elders in every church. I think that the language there is clear that this was a church prior to the fact that elders were ordained in those churches, right? Now, back to Brother Caleb's point, it is certainly the goal of every church to have an elder over them, and what I would say is elders over them. Now, I did a little word study, and it's actually kind of shocking to me, it was shocking, that when you go through and you look at all the different times that the word elder is used in the New Testament. I find 67 occurrences of the word elder and seven times that the word translated as overseer in the New Testament. And not a single one of those passages hints that there, there should be, as the goal, a single elder or overseer over the church of God. All of them have the, the goal of moving toward a plurality of elders. And I think that what we read already in Titus is perhaps the, the clearest text that I have. And in fact, this is taken up in, our, in the uh, Confession of Faith that me and Brother Joey adhere to. Um, and notice what it says. I think it's rather shocking language. In verse 5, he says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Notice in Apostle Paul's mind that a church isn't properly ordered until there's multiple elders, that's how I read the passage, installed in a local church. That a plurality of elders is really what the Bible designs for there to be. Now, the question is, why should there be multiple elders in a church? Absolutely. And that would be the absolute temptation, right? The one elder rules everything, does everything, and directs the church however he will, right? 
And I think that what we really have in a church that has its goal to only have one elder, that is not trying to have other elders, is perhaps somebody that is overly confident in themselves, right? Um, you think about leading the church of God that has been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ himself. It calls for a little bit of self-distrust, right? That maybe I'm not reading the Bible appropriately or I'm not reading it rightly and there needs to be other men to, to help to guide in that way. Why else would there be multiple elders prescribed in the Bible? Yeah, please. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And we can go back very far in the scripture and see this pattern, can't we? We can see in numbers when Moses, right? He he left the land of Egypt and he had these millions of people to take care of to the point where he says, God, kill me now because I can't bear the load of all these people. What was the, the divine, the divinely appointed solution to that? His father in law? Yes, right. That's right. 70, amen, 70 elders, judges, we could say, were appointed. That they would take the lesser matters, and if anything was more severe, it would come up to Moses, right? We see this with Jesus Christ himself as he appoints 12 apostles to oversee the formation and the founding of the original church, right? We see, oh, go ahead, please. Amen. And that's absolutely true. And it's my conviction that that every person needs to have oversight leading in the Word of God. And I don't know if that's really practically possible without a a multitude of elders, right? Now, there are times when a man is the sole elder in the church, not for anything that he can help. And so I, I would even recommend for that person to go to another pastor of another church and have regular meetings that he could have some more formal oversight of him, right? So, brother. Yeah, please. <laughs> well, and I think that's a great point because I think that it points to the fact that it is the natural biblical example for elders to be raised up in the local congregation and for the congregation to install those elders, right? So the elders of a local congregation should be men known to us Just think with me to Titus chapter 1 and 1 Timothy chapter 3, right? Where Timothy is to help the church to look for these men who have these certain qualifications, right? We can't know that these men have these qualifications unless they've lived with us for a period of time, right? How do I know that they treat their household right, they love their children and love their wife, unless I've, I've grown with them, right? And I think, go ahead, I think the Apostle Paul... Had, had left the Christian church for a time to be together so that 
natural gifts of preaching and teaching could be shown among the members, and then those men could be taken. The congregation would have a, a trust of these men already, and they would be installed as elders rather than just bringing somebody in and setting them over. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think even in Titus, where we see that he left him in Crete to put what in order what remained and install elders in every church, like he left him in Crete to do that, right? He could have written a letter and said, just, just pick some people, right? But it's important for an elder to be a qualified, biblically astute and... Um, Trusted man, right? And that can only happen through time. I think it's a really good point, brother. Any other questions about this? So I got two more things to say in 15 minutes, and I'll try to do that. So turn with me to Hebrews 13. Since we have limited time, I think we can get both of these items in one text. Hebrews chapter 13. So the question that I have for you now is I hope that we've established that churches should have elders, although it's not necessarily the most important thing for a church to do, especially if it's in its infancy. They should have a plurality of elders. Um, the question I have now is what, what should be the elder's job in the church? What are some bad examples of what an elder, and maybe that's a dangerous question to ask, um, Serve tables, yes, right. Now, Matt said serve tables. Why did Matt say serve tables? Now we're interpreting, we're inception of, yeah, uh, I did say. Yeah. Right, and I'm going to add a qualification to what Matt said. An elder can serve tables, and it's good for an elder to serve tables, to pick up a shovel, pick up a, a trowel, and to do the work of, of, hard, of physical labor, but not when it detracts from the ministry of the Word and God in prayer. And if you're not familiar, what we're referring to is Acts chapter 6. Notice that there is a problem in the church, and I'm going to talk fast uh, just for time's sake. It says, now in these days, when the disciples, in verse 1, were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, that's the Greek-speaking Jews, rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So this is an incredibly difficult trial that comes upon the church. We should realize that. It's a trial that has the, the possibility of splitting the church, Right? And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples, that's the church, in Jerusalem, and said, notice Peter's boldness here. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from you among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. And we would believe this is the proto-deacon office being established in this passage. But, as Brother Matt said, a bad example is a pastor that's just running around to and fro, trying to keep the lights on, trying to keep the sanctuary painted, trying to keep people happy, right? When Peter says it's not right, it's not right, it's sinful 
for a pastor to do anything, be engaged in any activity that takes away from him being able to minister the Word of God and prayer. Minister the Word of God and prayer. With, I said one passage, didn't I? And I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't intend to be deceptive. Uh, Acts 20 as well, we see the Apostle Paul telling us what the, the shepherds and the elders of the church ought to be doing. And notice by, by Paul's own example, he tells them what he did as the example elder. Um, in verse 18, And when they came to him, he, Paul, said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears with the trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to both Jews and Greeks repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul sets himself up as an for these elders, notice what he says his primary duty was, right? Not shrinking from declaring anything profitable from the Word of God, right? And he did that in two locations. What were the two locations that Paul did that? Two times, yeah. Public and house to house, he says, right? So, you can interpret that some different ways. So, um, it's believed that the early church met in little house churches, and then every once in a while they met together in a bigger assembly, right? So he could have meant that I've preached you in that big public assembly and I've preached you in little house churches, or I'm more prone to think this, although I could be wrong, that Paul's saying I had the public preaching ministry of the word, but there was also the, the private counseling ministry of the pastor, going house to house, family to family, person to person, and seeing if it's well with their souls, Right? Declaring to them what the Word of God said about their specific needs and the corporate needs of the church, right? And I hope the picture is coming together in our mind as we turn to Hebrews 13, that the primary job of the elder is to preach, teach the Word of God, and to pray for the people of God. To pray for the people of God. Um, Now these final passages, the first one in Hebrews 13, 7, is just kind of a, a help and a, something that strengthens what we've already said. Notice, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith, right? So I think we see two things that the elder is to do in this passage. First is what we've already seen. When Paul tells the people in Hebrews to remember their leaders, right? What characterized those leaders? They spoke to them the word of God, Right? When he thinks about their leaders, what did they do? They weren't just CEOs over the, the church or in some degree. They didn't just oversee the finances, make sure it looked pretty, right? In fact, the only thing Paul says is they spoke to them the word of God. But he does, they did another thing that Paul characterized their life by. They lived the word of God, right? Their lives were worthy of imitation, right? So the pastor, the shepherd, the elder, is a man that preaches the word of God and, and also endeavors to live the word of God and be an imitation to the people of God. Okay? Last question that's in Hebrews. So as we consider the office of elder, and I hope in this really short period of time we kind of grasp what the Bible says about its major points, the question is how should the congregation 
interact with the elder, right? And we could go to a number of different passages, and we can take questions if we get through this in two minutes or so. Um, In verse 17 of Hebrews, notice what's said, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Okay. So, the words obey and submit that we see at the beginning of verse 17 can sound really hard. And I think that in our, the usual way we interpret those things, they're harder than they need be. Okay? We think obey and submit. We could think of whatever the pastor says you do without question, without thought. Right? Whatever the pastor says you have to believe, you believe without question and without thought. Right? But that's not what these two words signify, especially in the Greek. Um, so we have the word obey. The word here is really patho. And me and Brother Caleb have talked extensively about this. The, the Greek word for this has actually led some to believe that the pastor shouldn't have any authoritative pronouncements and that really no authority at all. But what this means is to be convinced of. Okay? Be convinced of your leaders. Now, that might add confusion, right? But it's important that we add confusion here because what Paul's not saying is whatever the elder says in every circumstance, you have to absolutely obey him, right? Whatever he says that the word of God says, you must believe that is what the word of God says. The word is to be convinced of him. And the idea is to allow yourself to be of a teachable spirit by the elder that's placed over you, right? And I think that this is kind of the natural way we think of any authority structure, right? Like, Think it as a parent of your children, right? You want your children to be of a teachable spirit, right? I don't even want my daughter to obey me implicitly on everything I say, no matter what it is, because I've given her probably bad direction before, right? But I want her to be a submissive stance. Now, what's the opposite of that? Yeah, listen to nothing. And perhaps saying, Dad, I want you to prove to me beyond a shadow of a doubt, that this is the right thing to do. And if you don't do that, I'm not moving a muscle, right? It's a spirit that is not teachable, but it's absolutely unteachable. It refuses to believe that the elder actually has your best in mind and believing this guy is actually trying to to get me in some way. And so I'm just going to dig my heels into the ground. And until he totally overcomes every doubt that I have, I'm not even going to give him an inch. I'd say that that's an unbiblical way for a congregation to deal with their pastor. And I I thank God I'm not saying this because I sense that in anybody in the congregation. But we have to be, we have have to have a mind that is tending toward, I want my pastor to persuade me of this point, right? I want him to be able to show me in the word of God that this is true. And if he can't, well, then he can't. And he might be wrong about that. But to have a teachable spirit, patho. And submit... Again, we, we have this idea, we, we submit to government, we submit to our parents. It doesn't mean that we implicitly believe everything that they tell us, right? But we put ourselves under it, right? Uh, much like Jesus told the disciples that the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so do whatever they say, but don't be like them, right? You don't have to believe what the Pharisees are telling you, right? But you have to submit to them. I see Matt having many questions in his eyes. Yeah, I, I, I would say so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You put yourself under. So you don't have to believe everything that your husband tells you, 
You don't have to just say, well, my husband said it, so it must be true in every situation. But it should be a, an ordering yourself under. And I believe the Greek word here, and I'm, I could be wrong about this, is hupotasso, which means tasso to order and hupo under, right? So you're ordering yourself under. You're putting yourself in a proper place, so to speak. Just as you would do in any company or anything like that. You put yourself in, a, in, a, in your particular place. Do we have questions? Brother. Amen. Yes, amen. To see, it, to see if those things are so. But again, what I'm looking at is the attitude in which we do that. Right? So. Yeah. Right. And an example that will really hit a lot of hearts here today because it's true. If I talk about the Christian Sabbath. Just throw out a non-controversial subject, right? I, I get it's a difficult topic, and it, it's, it's my job to be able to explain that from the Word of God and for you to search the Word of God in that, right? Um, but we ought to be like the Bereans, searching to see if these things are so, but not of the spirit that I, I'm not even going to listen to what you say, right? And again, thinking of my children is a helpful analogy, or thinking of an employer is a helpful analogy, right? That... Any employer that just says, I will not do that. I will not pick up the mop and the broom unless you tell me absolutely convincingly this ought to be the thing that I have to do right now, right? That person would be fired from their job, right? Um, that ought not to be our spirit. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and we're going to tie that together in a couple weeks when we, we try to defend membership from the Scripture because the implication of all of this is that you have an elder that you can point to, that prays for you and teaches you, can go to your house and in public and teach you. And I don't think that that's possible unless we have a, a biblical view of membership and especially what we see in Hebrews 13 that it says that the elders are those who keep watch over your souls as those who have to give an account, right? So are me and Joey accountable to every soul that happens to come under the doors of this church? I have to give account for that soul because he walked into our church one day? I don't think that's true. Is it in the town? Is it in the parish, the, the district that we're in? I don't think so. I think that it's people who have agreed to walk together in membership and fellowship together, Right? Okay, any other questions? We have time for one, maybe. Okay, I'm going to pray for us. Lord, I thank you for just helping us to, to think about these things. And uh, Lord, I know that they, they might be a review for, for some of us, but I, I pray that you would bless it to our hearts and that you would help us to see that we're endeavoring to do church and to form how the church functions and operates under the guidance of your word and that there is clear biblical direction to why we do the things that we do. Um, God, if there's anything that we are not seeing and not obeying in your word and how we ought to function as a church, I pray you reveal it to us and that you would be glorified. Help us, God, to be better elders, better members of the church of God, that we might grow, that we might speak the truth and love to one another, and that we might be a holy people pleasing in your sight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.